Hi, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of Scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Well, welcome, brothers and sisters. This is uh, Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. This is our podcast ministry, and we're so glad you are joining joining with us today. Uh, I do have a special guest. This is Brother Juan. And uh, he has a powerful testimony uh, to share with us all today. Uh, but before we begin, I, I want to lay the foundation of this interview upon the foundation of Scripture. And there's a powerful passage of Scripture we find in 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 9. And this is the word of the Lord. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, obviously that lays out the bad news. But there's some good news, brothers and sisters. And my guest has partaken of that good news. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God our God. And so I have learned through the years, Brother Juan, that um, mankind typically does not treasure the good news until they find, you know, fully comprehend the bad news. And, uh, and you've experienced both pretty much to the maximum, brother. And so I want to start off Juan if you can just give us a little sort of background of who you are your family sort of how you grew up and and things of that nature yeah absolutely brother Rusty it's uh, honored to be here so thank you so much for having me um, I'm excited to uh, share the testimony that God has given me and uh, like you said I've experienced a lot of bad and now by God's grace I've experienced a lot of good in him only um, but my name is Juan Elias Riesco. I grew up here in uh, the city of Chicago, Illinois. I like to say this small town in Illinois called Chicago. And I'm um, 31 years old. By God's grace, I have three kids. And um, for most of my life, I never thought I would ever have uh, be married to a woman or have kids at all. Um, though I did desire marriage, I always thought I would be married to a man. Um, for from the age of probably 16 or so, I started to identify as a homosexual. And I really believe it was because my flesh, uh, my whole life, just like everybody else, was craving wickedness. And 
the, the further I would get into sin, the more I realized that no sin would ever satisfy me. And so at a young age, I got interested in uh, graffiti. Uh, I think graffiti, is, you know, it's a crime here in Chicago, everywhere it's a crime. And it led me to shoplifting, which led me to, you know, wanting to increase in crime life. And so I um, would started to sell drugs, um, started to get on airplanes with pounds of weed, uh, flying them from California to Illinois, and um, really just fell in love with criminality and nightlife. And um, at the age of probably 22 or so, or 22 or so, I had, you know, an HIV scare and had a gun pulled out on me and really just pretty much assumed that I was going to live a very short life um, because of the the things that I wanted to pursue. I wanted to pursue fame. I wanted to pursue crime and I wanted to pursue drugs and sex and men and nothing ever satisfied me really. Wow. So, so brother, you, uh, you sort of came from, uh, the background of growing up in Chicago and, um, and that sort of, uh, environment, um, I hear tell you that you also ended up in San Francisco. Did you did you live there for some time? That's correct. So um, at the age of 20, 21, I had wanted to really dive into homosexuality and really understand, you know, what it meant to be a gay man. And, and of course, I, I just figured, why not move to the Mecca of, you know, homosexuality? And so at a young age, um, I packed up my bags. I had never even been to San Francisco ever before. And um, I just knew it was a place where I could explore who I thought I was and who the world, you know, would really affirm that I was and uh, just kind of live a Wild West style life. And so, uh, yeah, I moved to San Francisco and, and did reside there for, I, I want to say, a little bit over 12 months. Wow. And so eventually you you moved back to to Chicago. Um, at that time, Juan, did your family have the uh, famous restaurant? Did that Was that business up and running when you were going um, through these struggles and challenges in life? Yeah. So around the time that I had moved out to San Francisco was around the time when my family was opening up their restaurant, which at the time was called Nini's Deli. And at that moment, um, I had wanted nothing to do with the family business. And um, but my parents had pulled all um, help and support financially from me out in San Francisco as I was pretending like I was going to school and working odd jobs and things like this. And they were like, we're done. You, you have we have no part in the life that you want to live. And so uh, they weren't saved, but they just knew what I was whatever life I was doing. They didn't really know that it was just wild and not something they wanted to support me in. And so um, when they did that, it had really put the fear of God in me because I was 21 or so. And that was the first time I had really been like cut loose. Like my family really wanted no part of me. Um, but they said if I wanted to leave whatever I was doing in San Francisco and come home and serve in the family business, um, that they would be willing to allow me to live back in their house if I worked in the family business. And at, at that time, the family business, I mean, it was just starting. There was no success. It was probably not it was not turning a profit by any means um but honestly honestly brother rusty it, it did that moment did instill a lot of fear in me because i didn't know what i would do with my life and I, I didn't have any support or financially or anything and so i decided to then again pack up my bags and leave san francisco move back home to the family business and and that's really when i first heard the gospel wow so so juan this is this is critically important brother because i'm sure 
There's families that are going to be listening to this testimony. And you know, there are parents who possibly have lost their children uh, to the homosexual agenda, and they've been captured by the spirit of the age. And even though your parents were not saved, how important was it to your soul that they drew a line in the sand and said, son, you know, basically, I, I'm sure they they reaffirmed their love to you because you are their son. But basically saying we will no longer support you uh, in this lifestyle you have chosen. How important was that as far as a maybe a wake up call for you, Juan? Yeah, certainly. So I think about that a lot, actually. And I think about that a lot in, in, in regards to this. You know, I believe the enemy is working overtime to destroy uh, nuclear families. I mean, we know this. It's not hidden agenda anymore. They make it plain. And and it has to be for a reason, because even ungodly parents are used by the Lord to instill fear and in, and in, in some sense of righteousness, not a salvific right, righteousness or fear, but enough to at least put some you know, uh, good things into relatively good things into into a young person. And so that really did um, motivate me to want to move home where I'm, now. Now, here's the thing, Brother Rusty. I did get further into darkness when I moved home. However, however, at that moment, my brother at that and, and within that same season, my older brother, who was a, a gangbanger here in the city, um, had had gotten saved, radically saved. Um, the gospel was presented to him and and it, wow. it moved, the gospel moved in his heart. And so the Lord had really set me up because my brother got saved. I moved home, you know, as lost as ever. And then, boom, that's when he preached to me. Wow. So you're coming back home. You, you've been somewhat sobered up in the sense that you know that you need the help of your family to figure some things out in life. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you're back in Chicago, you're being sucked into the life there. Um, and then something like a nuclear bomb kind of drops where your brother, uh, a gangbanger in Chicago, and I've, and I've been in the hood of Chicago, brother, and I've ministered to some of the street gangs there, and I know exactly uh, the mentality uh, that captures these young men. And, um, and so is that the beginning, uh, the knock at the door of your soul, uh, brother, where now you're beginning to question some things and beginning uh, a process with the Lord? What, what happens after your brother shares the glorious good news of the gospel of the kingdom? What, what begins to transpire then? Yeah. So the, the process that I, how I recall it was like this, my, my family finds out I'm homosexual because a, a gentleman that I was dating at the time comes and visits me at the family restaurant. My parents could tell that, that it was not a, a normal friendship, that there was something odd about this gentleman. And so I end up leaving early work that day. And my mom calls me and after a, a, a providential series of events happens to her, where we believe the Lord was leading her to expose that I was living this lifestyle. And uh, she, she calls me and she's like, you need to come back. Cause I had left work early. And she was like, I, I can, I know you're homosexual basically. And, and at that point I hadn't told my family like officially anything. And 
when I'm driving back home, my brother and my brother starts weeping for my soul. My mom starts weeping because she knows homosexuality is wrong, mm. but she doesn't really know why because she's not saved. And my my mom looks at my brother and my mom says, Juan's in trouble, you know, and my brother looks at my mom and he basically says, y'all are both in trouble because you guys are both on your way to hell. But yes, my brother is on his way to hell, too. And so my brother continues to just intercede for my soul, basically just weeping because it was a real emotional moment for my family. And my father at the time was a Muslim. And so. My father is furious, flipping shelves over mm. in the house. My mom is weeping because her son is homosexual, but she's on. They're both on the on the way to hell, and my my brother is interceding kind of for all of us at the same time. And then um, I go home. I get home. My brother wow. preaches to me. My mom and dad yell at me, and the gospel seeds got a hold of my heart. So Juan, I mean, this is incredible, brother. I mean, like. You you are you are in the thick of some of the most uh, powerful dark forces uh, that's been unleashed on this planet. Um, you know the spirit of the age. You know yeah. homosexuality and it's yeah. a, you know accompanied evil, transgenderism, yeah. uh, uh, Islam, Muslim. Right? Did that have any? But did your did your dad have any impact on you as far as Islam was concerned? Like, how did that impact your family? Absolutely. Yeah, it impacted my family greatly. I mean, my father converted to Islam at a young man. I, I believe he was in his early twenties. Um, my mother, my grandmother, was uh, Greek Orthodox, but really non-practicing by any means. Not that if she was practicing, that would be better, but. Um, just not really a religious individual. Um, and then my father was discipled by a Muslim man when he moved to America. He immigrated to America from Cuba, didn't have a father figure. My grandfather was a political prisoner in Cuba. So he, he didn't have any role models or older male, you know, figures in his life. His first job that he lands is at a local uh, deli and the owner was a Muslim man. And literally the gentleman discipled him, taught him the ways of the Quran and took him under his wing. And so it, it really impacted my family greatly. I mean, we grew up uh, I, like, for example, in high school, I was in um, the Muslim club um, and I, I totally uh, just believed that it, it was a good religion. And uh, my father, you know, led me to think it was a good religion. But my father was a, he was poor at proselytizing. He never uh, really pushed it as um, like authoritative truth. It was more so like a guiding, you know, kind of guiding light for him. But. Uh, these these different elements were at play in my life, and uh, I believe it it led to you know deep spiritual confusion. I, I didn't know who I was spiritually, uh, and that manifested itself in not knowing who I was sexually or personally or, or anything else. Wow! So so brother, you're you're raised in a Muslim home. Um, I guess you're being taught the Quran. Uh, like you're saying, maybe not as an authoritative truth, but but as something that could guide you. Um, but apparently um, the morality of that never really took root in you. And um, something else uh, surfaced, which was this um, 
this confusion, this sexual confusion. Now, along those lines, Juan, was there, um, what was the relationship between your dad and your mom like? I mean, even though, you know, he's a Muslim and she's not saved, um, were there proper kind of roles and functions as as a man and a wife? I mean, just on a natural plane? Or do you think there was some things out of order there that led to your confusion? Yeah. So I would say my mom did the greatest job that she could serving us from what, what she knew um, of, of how to be a mom. However, like in regards to the traditional Muslim household um, where the woman is supposed to be serving their Allah, you know, um, no, she didn't do that. And um, because she didn't do that, actually, my mom, actually, that's one of her biggest critiques of the Islam, Islamic religion was that none of my father's friends um, that were Muslim ever evangelized her and they never asked her to convert. And, and she, when, when started attending, you know, evangelical church with my family and I, with my brother and I, um, you know, she was approached by countless women in the church who asked her to, you know, uh, who asked her if she knew the God of the Bible, who asked her if she's repented and put her faith in the Lord, you know, by grace, they've asked her, like, would, would you want to do discipleship? And my, my mother would actually presented it to my father once I got saved and my brother got saved. And she said, if Islam is the only way to heaven, why in the world have these women never told me that? And my mom was so taken aback by that. And she just really, really at that moment realized that the people of the Islamic faith who she had encountered never cared about her eternal well-being. And so I would say that, you know, in, in regards to the traditional Muslim household, no, we didn't operate in that way where the husband is like the, you know, faithful leader of the wife. So, no, my father dropped the ball in regards to uh, his Islamic orthodoxy. <laughs> He he was a, a lukewarm Muslim at best, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> well, that might have worked to your favor there, buddy. But so you know, here here's yeah, the thing. Right. So th this is th this is incredible, brother. I mean, you are like you're you're being raised sort of in the belly of the beast, and um, mm. a lot of uh, a lot of spiritual forces at work. Um, and a lot of confusion that came with that and and so sort of been led astray and going down this dark road this dark path and then your gangbanger brother gets gloriously saved and now he's dropping truth bombs <laughs> into your life and the life of your family your dad your mom and so brother tells tell me what happened where you, your eyes were open, your heart was open, your understanding was open, the word of God opened to you. Brother, can you recount that, that moment, brother, where you crossed the line and you, you said, Jesus, if this is true, uh, what happened, buddy? What, what, what was the, the second or the moment of your salvation, brother? How did that all come to pass? Yeah, I, I appreciate you asking that. So I, I find it so interesting when brothers who I love dearly, um, you know, who th they have uh, something to say about, you know, street preachers who ask people to confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
You know, sometimes people say, well, well, don't make them confess that because, you know, that's not a true conversion. And I'm like, look, I don't know if it's a true conversion, but the scriptures say if a man confesses confess with his mouth and believeth in his heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, then God will save him. Acts 2.21. So that's what happened. That's what happened to me. I, I, I came to multiple church services and I heard the message and, and I thought I wasn't moved at all. And then one day I went to a church service because my parents said, you cannot live in this house unless you go to the church that your brother is going to that changed his life. So my mom is not saved. My father's a Muslim, but they say the only reason, only way I can stay in their, this house is if I go to my brother's church because my brother's a changed man. So I go to the church. Oh, I hear the gospel. I thought I wasn't impacted. But one day after after a service, I just lifted my hands and I said, you know, I, I don't really know why I'm here. But God, if 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 you are real, would you please touch me? Would you please let me know? And um, again, I have I I I come. My church is a charismatic church and we, we don't believe in over spiritualizing things. We don't believe that everybody should be rolling on the floor. We're not those type of people. But. We do believe that it could happen. And brother, that's what happened to me. I fell to the floor in the glory of God. I couldn't, I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't see, like God had removed. It felt like God had removed blinders from my heart. And for the first time ever, it was like it was the first time ever I was seeing light. And I remember it just like stung and I fell to the floor. And, and the Lord just radically revealed himself to me in a way that I've never, I've never experienced God. And, um, and I felt like it was really the Lord just showing me like, you, I'm real son this is what you wanted to see. Here I am. And I didn't see God or anything like that, but I felt him heavily on my heart. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, um, contain, I mean, I couldn't even like really, I didn't have words. I just fell and experienced God and, and he removed blinders from my heart. And at that moment I was never the same. I simply saw after the Lord and he showed, he revealed uh, a a smidge of his glory to me. And at that moment I, I just was never the same. Wow, brother. Well, one of the names for God's glory is called Kabad, which means weight, weighty. Um, and it's, that sounds like what you experienced, brother, you experienced the kabod of God, the weight of God fall upon you with great conviction and power and glory. And so you could say at that moment, you were literally translated from the kingdom of darkness and you were placed into the kingdom of God's dear son. And you were what the Bible calls born again. Hallelujah. So, brother, you 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 experience the Lord, uh, you experience His love, His truth, you partake of His salvation. What happens from there, brother? What 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 goes on in your life? How does this translate into your family, into your business, into your community? What did God do, Juan? Yeah. Amen. So at that point in my life, I knew that the Lord wanted me to um, just continue to be diligent in where he had me. And I think about the scriptures that say that when a man gets saved, he does not have to change his positioning in society. So I felt that God wanted me to just remain exactly where he had me. And that was the family business. And so at that point of my life, I was 
I'm working in my family's restaurant and it was not successful. We had no um, accolades or anything of the sort. And I just remained diligent. I think of the scriptures that say it's good for a man to be diligent in his work and that if a man doesn't work, he should not eat. And so I just focused. I focused hard on what God wanted me to do, which was serve my community through my family's restaurant. And I put my hand to the plow. And um, from the year of by by 2013 is when I started to 2020, which is where we kind of um climaxed, um, we had received uh, three, three many awards by God's grace, but three really big ones. It was the number one rated restaurant in the city of Chicago on Yelp three years in a row, 2018, 2019, and 2020. And, uh, and at one wow. point, we had partnerships with Nike. We had two partnerships with Nike. Um, we had a partnership with Adidas. I had been asked by Apple to speak and give a keynote presentation at their Michigan Avenue, one of their flagship locations. Um, um, I have been on, you know, national television multiple times, partnerships with the Chicago Fire, our major league soccer team. So all different things like that, uh, all because, you know, I just I really did my best to put the Lord first, give him glory in all that I do. And uh, and by his grace, uh, through my faith, he made us successful. So that that brings up the truth of Proverbs, brother. A man's gift shall make room for him and bring him before great men. And it sounds like you obeyed the scriptures. Whatever you do, you do with all your heart, with all your soul, your mind and strength as unto the Lord. And it sounds like God richly blessed and prospered that work. Well, now you're kind of you're moving along and God is prospering the work of your hands. And then the pandemic hits along with BLM and Tifa. And all of a sudden, brother, the proverbial crap hits the fan. And so tell me, brother, you're just motoring along. God is blessing. You're prospering. And then something else happens so share with with uh, the listeners brother what happened um during that aspect of your walk with the lord yeah amen you know it's funny because i I think about all the different things that the lord was uh pruning out of me in the seasons before that, but what, before what I'm about to present and uh, how he was growing me and maturing me up into this moment, because one of the prayers that, you know, every person who loves the Lord is praying is, you know, Lord, remove from me anything that's not of you, O God. You know, take away the distractions, O God. Anything you've given me, I would give back to you, you know, and so often we say these things and then when God wants to take them, you just want to like hold on to them a little bit tighter. And, um, but, um, so what happened was is, on 2020, I was faced with a predicament, and the predicament was very simple. It was um, put your fist in the air like a communist and say Black Lives Matter or perish. That's what I believe the predicament was. Say Black Lives Matter or perish. Um, and uh, the whole, for the, for the most part, from the, the businesses that I saw in Chicago, you know, people got down with the Black Lives Matter movement because, uh, you know, it felt right. It was socially and politically correct. And at one point, basically, you could not remain open in Chicago as a business, at least not in the communities I was in, because I was in some of the, my business was in one of the more affluent neighborhoods in Chicago. And, you know, um, you could not remain open if you didn't make this statement. And um, the thing is, is my family... Uh, by God's grace, we we don't get down with any 
uh, political agenda. I'm I'm far more conservative than conservatives, and liberals don't even know what liberalism means. You know, they're they're just wicked. So we don't get down with either of those parties because they're not of God. And so um, we only uh, ascribe to one agenda, and that's the agenda of advancing the kingdom of God. And so when we were told to say Black Lives Matter, we said not over our, you know, to paraphrase, we said not over our dead Christian bodies. You know, we would never do that um, because we believe that the gospel is the only way to bring any sort of justice into this world. And um, the answer to the problems in society is not social justice. It's biblical justice. One, is it true that when that began to happen, that you made a tweet or you made a social media comment that all lives matter, not just black lives matter? Was that the, the trigger that set everything in motion? Was that it? That's right. It was a bit, it was kind of elaborate. It said like, we believe that all lives are made in the image of God. Okay. And and so by saying that all lives do matter. Yeah, exactly. It was a, it was a trigger point. So they're viewing you at that point as an enemy that must be taken on and taken out and uh, describe uh, to the listener, describe to the listener Juan what that was like for you and your family as you walk through those dark days? Absolutely. So um, at that moment, um, when I had made the post that said all lives matter to all lives are made in the image of God, um, that um, we received, I would say, probably upwards of a thousand uh, death threats, whether it had been on uh, Twitter, email, phone calls, social media, um, my number had gotten leaked. So I was getting phone call after phone call after phone call, all private messages of people saying I was no longer safe in Chicago, um, that I would, I better leave, you know, I, they're going to find me, they're going to kill me. And, um, it, it was, it was upwards of a thousand for sure. Um, my business got protested by the thousands. Uh, they actually organized the whole black lives matter, George Floyd protest to pass by my business. Uh, my business was vandalized. Uh, people would light things on fire and throw them at my business. They surrounded me in the business. Um, they pushed me, they spat on me. Uh, they surrounded my car. They didn't let me get into my car. Uh, they posted, uh, my, you know, the, the license plate of the car that I was in, they posted it on social media. They posted my family's addresses on social media. Uh, my older brother, uh, got removed from his position. Uh, at, he was working for the state at the time, um, as a, a, a physical education teacher in the, in the County youth jail, um, and he lost his job. My sister-in-law lost her job as a real estate sales lady um, because these organizations called our, our employers. And um, it became very clear that I, I just was not no longer safe in Chicago. Wow. So because you took a righteous stand and because you spoke biblical truth, that man is made in the image of God and all lives matter. You were doxxed, you were canceled, you were threatened, and everything that you had worked for and invested in was now being destroyed right before your very eyes. And, and from what I understand, Juan, was that the point that you had to go into self-imposed exile? Is that when you came to Texas? Is, is that how you ended up coming to Texas? 
That's exactly right. So um, at that moment, we prayed. We literally, my wife and I packed up a couple bags. We had like one duffel, not even duffel bag, one one like grocery bag of clothes and um, a half of, you know, a gallon of baby formula water and some baby formula. And we just, we just got in our car and drove um, with my pastor and my older brother. We all left because they had, they had doxed all of us. And it was, it was appearing that it was going to be very violent, especially when they were, we saw online that they were organizing and planning to come to the, to the business and things like this. And they said they were going to burn down the church and all these things. And so um, we left Um, shortly after my pastor turned around, he said, no, I I have to go back. I have to be with, with God's people. And, but I want you two to to keep going because it really doesn't seem safe for you guys. So um, we kept going. Um, We stopped in, in Atlanta, Georgia at that point. Um, We were on the way to Florida when we received a message um, from a person who was uh, very angry at us. And I had already changed my number at that point, Um, but they still got my new number. And they said, we know you're on your way to Florida. We'll see you when you get there. And I was like, okay, this is just ridiculous. So I just turned off my phone because obviously they were using scare tactics and, you know, I didn't, I wasn't going to fall for it, but we didn't end up going to Florida. We did end up pivoting um, and, and ended up in Dallas, Texas, where by God's grace, we we've now planted a church. Wow. So um, you, you came to Texas for a little while. Um and it seemed like it was like a situation where the Lord was in Egypt and the enemies that were against him were no longer there. So God called, you know, his son back home from Egypt. You eventually returned to Chicago. Is that true? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So what happens there? Do you, did, did you revive the business and the ministry there, brother? So um, we planted the church successfully by God's grace in, in Dallas, Texas, and it's still operating today for the glory of God. And they street preach every week and they're preaching the gospel and making disciples. And um, I felt I really thought I felt the Lord uh, lead me back to Chicago um, to come back and, and give the, the business another another go around. It was ex- I want to say exactly. Exactly two years, I believe, uh, since the closing. And I really, I really thought, uh, the Lord wanted me to go back and I did attempt to, uh, to reopen and we were open for a whole year. Um, no, it was exactly one year since closing, we came back and then we were open again for a year. Um, but we just weren't able to pick up, uh, the steam that I really thought we were going to be able to pick up. Um, I did, uh, just, I, I worked it with, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. And, um, I think the community just really wasn't willing to, you know, uh, uh, forget the situation. And uh, they continued uh, to persecute us to some element, to some degree, uh, you know, almost every day, uh, whether it be they threw eggs at my door, uh, at my business door, or they left dog feces in front of my building, you know, pretty, pretty consistently. Um, They would cuss us out, cuss me out as they would, you know, ride their bicycles down the street and, um, it had kind of just got to a point where I, I just would ask the Lord, like, Lord, how, how much longer, you know, can can I really uh, endure endure this? Be- because uh, we, we were trying our hardest. Honestly, we, we, we sought the Lord and we did make some awesome friendships, you know, Christians that would come around us and support us in the season. And so for that, I really feel like it was a success because God did unite me with with who I believe is, you know, the remnant here in Chicago. And he really connected us with some powerful believers who love God and 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 for that, you know, though the doors did close a second time, I do believe that for that it, it, it was a success because God really showed me that his people are faithful and that 
and that there are God's, his people are still in Chicago by God's grace. Amen. So, so brother, um, as far as it stands right now, your, your business has been permanently shut down. Um, That's but right. God has opened, uh, some, some new doors in your life. And, uh, can you explain like where the Lord has led you? Cause he obviously one of those doors have been shut, uh, but we serve a Lord that opens uh, effectual doors that we can continue to love, serve, and obey him. So, brother, what what's happened since those doors have been shut? What are you involved in now? About two, three months before the business shut down for the second time, um, a dear brother who I love more than words could explain in Christ um, that goes by the name of Jason Storm invited me to speak at a conference that he was hosting in Nashville, Tennessee. And um, at that moment, I think it was the first time I had ever spoken at a conference or anything of that sort. And, um, you know, I I just, I was moved. It it was a powerful experience. It was, it was amazing. And I'm come back home to Chicago after the conference and I just could not get the unborn off of my heart, you know, and I couldn't get the the death squirts off of my heart and I couldn't get these abortionist doctors off of my heart and the moms and the dads. So I, I kept on working the restaurant and I finally made the decision to close. And I told my coworkers and my mom and my dad, I'm sorry, my mom and my wife, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to, as the business was closing, I was like, I'm going to be at the abortion clinics. God is calling me to be more faithful, to be there. And I'm going to go, you know? And so even on the last day of the business, the last day it was closing, I went to the clinic to preach. And, uh, you know, I just knew God was moving me to go there. And at that time, like a week before the business shut down, I I got a, fo- a text message from Jason and he connected me with a, an, an evangelical ministry focused on ending abortion called Love Life USA. And they were, you know, interested in connecting with me and, he, you know, hearing about, you know, what God was doing in my life. And by God's grace, I'm now uh, the director uh, here in Chicago for Love Life USA focused on equipping the church and mobilizing the saints of God to see abortion come to an end in my city. Hallelujah. Awesome. What a, what a glorious journey, Juan. Hallelujah. So brother, uh, we're going to kind of sort of come to a close uh, with this interview. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day, but people need to hear what the Lord has done through you, brother. It's a, uh, it's inspiring. It truly, truly is. So, so brother, we, uh, we want to get some of your resources on the links below, but brother, before we, we, we cut off here, I would, I would like you to, you know, maybe speak to maybe people who are bound by homosexuality or maybe parents who are struggling, you know, with children who have been led astray and been captured you know, by the spirit of the age and and maybe even challenge the church when it comes to um, abortion ministry. I'd just like you to share your heart, brother, and share God's word and, and give the challenge, buddy, and the opportunity. 
Absolutely. I would love to. I, I think about the scripture that you opened up this podcast with, and it was 1 Corinthians 6, 9. And, and Paul lists very plainly, very plainly, the sins of every age. It's not just this age. It's every age has those sins. I mean, every time I read those sins, I think about like, I don't know a single person who avoided these. Everybody has fallen for them. But then he dovetails the sentiment by saying, and you were washed, you were justified, you were sanctified by the spirit of the living God. And so my exhortation to anybody watching this is realize that homosexuality is no different in the eyes of Paul in regards to the remedy, what it needs to be cured. It needs the forgiveness of God. And it's the same with abortion and the the spirit of murder. The remedy, though it has severely different alterca- uh, severely different implications in the physical realm, in the spirit, it needs the exact same remedy. And Paul says again in one, Romans 1.16 that it is the gospel which represents the power of God that a man must believe in order to be saved. You see, what I like to tell people is, Your flavor of sin may be murder. Your flavor of sin may be homosexuality. Your flavor of sin may be theft, but the remedy remains the same. And it's the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, which is very simple that yet profound. And it is that Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, left his throne in heaven to die a gruesome death for all who believe in his death, burial and resurrection might be saved. Very simple, yet very profound. And my exhortation is to present the simplified yet profound gospel to all men, to all men, so that they might be saved. I don't care what flavor of sin they participate in, so that they might be saved by grace through faith today. God bless you guys. Amen. So that's the good news, brother. We are saved by grace through faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, not of works, should any man boast, but it is the gift of God. And so, Juan, you have been the recipient of that gift, and you are now doing the good works of the kingdom of God. And, uh, And that's what the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they might behold your good works and glorify God on the day of visitation. So brother, listen, I want to encourage you, bro. Keep pressing on. Um, The Lord is using you, my brother, and he's powerfully using your testimony. And I do pray uh, more and more people will get a hold of this testimony, that God will use it to convict their hearts and that they would be birthed into the kingdom, added to God's church, and set free, brother, from the spirit of the age, from the lust of the flesh, you know, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and uh, come to the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, and put their hand to this kingdom plow, brother, as we're advancing the kingdom of God. And so, brother, I just want you to know I love you, and uh, so encouraged by the things that God are doing in, in and through your life, brother. You keep pressing on in Jesus' name. Thank you so much, bud. Good to see you, brother. Thank you for having me.
Yeah, amen. So, brothers and sisters, this is uh, Rusty Thomas. I'm with Brother Juan, and I pray this uh, powerful testimony um, encouraged you, inspired you, and and, uh, convicted you. Um, And so, um, you know, I I would encourage you to to share that uh, with other brothers and sisters. And... um, you keep pressing on to that high calling prize in Jesus' name. Amen. 